the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is produced and distributed through a partnership with AV Nation and Rave Publications. For more information, go to ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 28 for Friday, February 10th, 2012. Django Rack. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of AV audio-visual news, information, and commentary. I'm your host, Tim Albright. With us this week is George Tucker, live from New York. He is the engineering coordinator for World Stage. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, everybody. Also with us uh, is Sarah Abrams. Sarah is the editor at Rave Publications. Hello. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. And from across the pond is Pat Dealey. Pat is the sales and marketing director for avjobs.co.uk. Hello. Hi, Tim. Hi, everyone. Uh, This week, we're going to talk about AMX finally shipping the Madeira, which I think is the sexiest touch panel on the market, period. Uh, Honeywell and Nest getting into some uh, legal battles. And also uh, a new standard because, you know, everybody loves standards for for racks and stuff like that. but first, and real quickly, I don't want to dwell on this too much. Um, if you are interested in going to Infocom uh, or have any interest in any way, shape, or form, uh, the registration for it is now open. And that's kind of important because not that you couldn't book your hotel and stuff like that before now. But if you do it through them and through their website, um, you, get, you get a discount on the hotel, which is you know I think is kind of cool. Um, and also you do get some other stuff. So, yeah, the Infocom registration is now open. Uh, go there now if you'd like. Um, you just go to web, uh, Infocom's website. They have a link to it on their front page, which is infocom.org, infocom.org. But that also leads us into another trade show that both Sarah and Pat attended. It's called ISE, Integrated Systems Europe 2012, and it officially is the largest AV trade show in the world. It had about 40,000 people, which bested Infocom 2011 by about 8,000. And Sarah, you guys shot a number of videos, had a number of blogs and, and stuff like that. What was, what, and this wasn't your first, your first rodeo as it was no. um, at, at ISU. What, what's something that your, your takeaway, like your biggest one or two things that you took away from ISE this year? Um, well, first real quick about the attendance. They had, as you said, over almost 41,000 people attend, which I think is important for uh, everyone in the AV space to pay attention to, even if they don't go to IEC, because I think it means really good things for Infocom this year. Um, last year, IEC set a record, which they broke themselves this year, and uh, last year, Infocom had a record-setting year for Orlando, so I'm thinking that... Um, this year's show in Vegas, which traditionally has higher attendance, will be their biggest show ever. Hmm. Um, and we'll see a lot of 
new exhibitors just like at ISE. Yeah. Um, but as far as technology, there was a lot of cool stuff, especially in the display space. Um, there were a lot of improvements in um, multi-touch, uh, flexible displays that, like, I haven't really seen this much before, but flexible displays with multi-touch capabilities um, or 3D. I saw some of the best glasses-free 3D that I've seen from Philips and Sony. Um, some cool booth designs and some just some really cool products there. Um, now the multi-touch. So I have a, go ahead, George. Go ahead. I have a question, Sarah, though, because you you mentioned two things that I'm really interested in, and one is sort of interested in not in the in the pejorative actually <laughs> 3d glasses what what did you see that made them interesting no not 3d glasses glasses free 3d so no oh, glasses free required. 3d i didn't hear that sorry sorry wax in the ear um He's all right old. so glasses free. Old, did it did it work i mean look we all know i uh, my adoration and love of 3d <laughs> um but it, did it did it work or does it still come off to you like um you know those old film strips that you had a tilt to look at uh, the so a couple of years ago at DSE I saw some glasses free 3D exhibited by Philips that really grabbed my attention because I wasn't even going into their booth I was walking like down an aisle and all of a sudden I saw 3D from an angle that was 3D and I went in there and the product at the time was a prototype and I was like okay this might never make it to market but now Philips has that technology and they are bringing it to market. Um, primarily for digital signage. So I wouldn't say it's good enough for anywhere near good enough for home use yet, but to me it looks pretty good, as good as I've ever seen, um, even not standing straight on, like be way better than anything I saw at Cedia or Infocom last year. I think you'll definitely see, see it being used in digital signage and retail applications. I think it's good enough for that. Well, hmm. And you're saying the off angle is really good? Well... I saw 3D from off angle, which previously, yeah. especially like for consumer displays, you had to be standing at the exact correct space, not just in the middle, but like, a, you know, five or six right. feet back. But right. I, I stood, I tried it at as many angles as possible. And while it doesn't look as perfect as when you're standing right in front of it, it's definitely still, I was definitely still getting the 3D aspect at all, which, you know, that is a huge improvement in my opinion. Yeah. And, and the flexible, uh, the flexible multi-touch you said, I heard um, that right, right? Like OLED yeah. stuff or? No, like there was one company that Gary really liked that we did a video on called Flat Frog. And actually it's kind of interesting because it goes, it's kind of addressed in that Corning video that we might talk about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but they have a new uh, touch technology they call planar scatter detection, detection technology that is not only can have like a lot of different touch points at one time, but it's extremely fast and much more responsive than other technologies that I've seen. And it's embedded in the glass. So I don't, I'm not sure if it's like an actual product right now or if it's a prototype, but it was pretty cool. And they said that they can put it in flexible displays. Wow. Hmm. It doesn't look like it's a real product yet. Their web page is, yeah. uh, is uh, high on flash, light on real pictures. <laughs> well, and the one thing about the, about the Flat Frog was that it's not even coming to, U to the U.S. market right now. They're strictly focusing on on the European market, uh, mm -hmm. according to Gary. So. Hmm. I mean, that's like a look-ahead technology, but yeah. the, the demo 
at the show, which was of a multi-touch table, was really cool. And it was a real pro. I mean, not one that's going to be sold, but it was something you could actually play with that looked really nice. Yep. Pat, what was your one or two really big things you took away from ISC this year? The number of people there um, was pretty awesome. I thought that a lot of people were using the show um, very well by looking at partnerships and alliances and networking. Um, like Sarah mentioned, the interactive tables, touch technology there was superb. Um, I thought the lampless projectors, um, following on from Casio's BenQ and Optoma, had got some very good lampless projectors there. Um, as I say, I thought it from the from a networking aspect for even the larger companies, the manufacturers out there, it was a, a superb opportunity. Um, and the, I think the only thing that I would have liked was that this, the numbers spread was would have been over the three days rather than everybody deciding to come on the middle day. <laughs> was that was that the busiest day? <laughs> Absolutely manic, but um, but in a very good way. Now, you, um, s- you said lampless projectors. Am I, am I assuming then that we're talking about LED or what? What's the light source for that? Well, remember that I'm not a technical person. Well, um, I know, but, but did they like, like, at least explain I'm that part to you? Into what, the, to what they are. I'm not looking into the products themselves, per se, because I'm there to, to meet people rather than look at products. Well, very cool. So I'm, I'm afraid I'm not, help, you know, not going to be very helpful on that side of things. It's very much a people thing with, uh, with us. All right, so it's a it's a big show for Europe. It's a big thing for for that one thing that, that Gary and I talked about. We we started this daily, the daily rave show, which is something he and I get together for five or six minutes uh, on a daily basis. We did that started actually during ISE. His thing was that this is huge not only for the European market, yes, because you know what, here here's finally something that uh, the Europeans can say we we've got this thing. Um, and it's it's big enough to to compete with Infocom. Granted, this is Infocom and NCDA coming together, but it's also a bigger bigger thing than that because it's it's an indi- it's an indication of, of things to come. I, mean, I mentioned the the whole flat frog thing. Th- these guys most likely are only going to show at ISC this year and maybe next year and the year after that until they release uh, in in Europe or in in the U.S. rather. Sarah, did you see a lot of guys like that, which are th- these are Eurocentric, or maybe Europe and, and, and uh, um, Africa centric companies that you know what they're only going to go to ISC. Um, I mean, I saw there were a lot of U.S. people there as well, but I think that the fact that ISC is such a good show makes it it's true that it makes it less necessary for those people to come over to the other American trade shows. I also I would agree that a lot of people there were from the Middle East as well um, and Africa. So I think it's a good focus for Europe, Middle East and Africa. And certainly I met a, a fair number of Americans over there as well. Um, so pr- pretty worldwide, I think. So is it safe to say then that we have the, not we, I'm not, I'm a member of Infocom, but I'm not you know, part of, of, of their team. Is, is it safe to say that Infocom and Cedia and the guys have the world covered, I guess? I mean, in, in the U.S., they have their shows, Infocom and Cedia. Uh, in Asia, they each have their own show. And so now in, in Europe, Middle East, and Africa, they're taking care of all that section with ISC. Does that make sense? 
Well, I think ISC also have a show in Dubai. Oh, there you go. Um, uh, anyway, in October. Um, I know that uh, they have one in China. Um, I don't know the rest of them, um, to be fair, but from a certainly from a UK or European point of view, we would, we would look at ISE first and then Infocom. And you're quite right, there are always more people. I think Sarah said it. When ISE, sorry, when Infocom is in Vegas, I can't think why, um, but we'll be in Vegas, but not in, we didn't go to Orlando, for example. Um, one thing that's kind of interesting is that ISC is a trade trade show owned co-owned by Infocom and Cedia, but ISC itself has a stronger brand in Europe and EMEA area than I think the other the other organizations do at this point. It's just grown so much, yeah. so that's kind of going to be a challenge for the organizations as they try to also get those attendees to be members in the in the near future. I wonder why that is though. I think the show has just been wildly successful beyond like anything they thought could happen. So it's the success of the show, which is yeah, but weird. It, it's not branded Infocom or Cedia. Gotcha. So, so this is sort of a case of interesting. This sounds like a case of careful what you wish for. You might just get it. Now, what do you do with it? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're they're quite happy with the success, obviously, but in terms of getting people involved in education and membership of the association, it presents some challenges there because I think there are people who go to ISC that might not know that much about those organizations and realize that they own it. I, I know, George. Here's what you do. You start a third organization called ISC. <laughs> now you're talking my language, see? see? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, I'm going to get calls on that Why one. do it with one when you can have many? Exactly, you know? <laughs> All right. Uh, this week, Gary wrote a uh, Gary K from Ray Publications wrote a uh, a blog post about Sony being in trouble. Uh, I, I paraphrased it. And said <laughs> Sony's dead, <laughs> and they are. I mean, come on. He goes. The, the 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 crux of the story is this: Panasonic and Sharp and Sony all, are all saying that at the end of their fiscal year, which is at the end of of March. Um, the three of them put together are writing are, are, are going to post a seventeen billion one seven billion dollar loss. That's huge. Now, some of Panasonic's uh, could be the full acquisition of Sanyo. It could be some other stuff. Who, who knows? They're taking the biggest hit of this. They're taking almost eleven billion dollars of it, but they'll be okay. Uh, Sharp has got the LCD manufacturing, so they can OEM and stuff. So they'll be okay. Sony, on the other hand. They've got a new president. Uh, they've got products that are failing left and right. Um, I think the last successful product that they've shipped, and it's a, we've talked about this more than once, was the Walkman. Uh, so, I mean, George, are, are we is is Sony in trouble, or are they just going to kind of weather through this and and be okay somewhere down the road, whether it's a year or five years from now? It's hard to tell. I mean, they've had such dramatic failures lately you know going back at least 20 years but lately just everything from the ps2 the online uh, community being compromised to losing out on lots of stuff and always looking like well the great big giant also ran kind of guy um you know I, when you said will panasonic uh, just take the one-time hit it really does feel to me like panasonic's got the little b in billion and sony's got the big b in billion loss yeah 
uh, there's different perspectives there. They're taking a one-time loss of Panasonic, you know, if you want to talk financial terms, which I'm not great at. But um, Better than me. Yeah, well, okay. Well, there you go. See? <laughs> I'm on top of somebody. Um, so so they're, they're, they've got the little B Panasonic that they've acqu- uh, acquired something, and they're going to divide it up and make it part of themselves. Sony's just spinning their wheels, I think. I mean, I don't look at a Sony product and go, that's great. I want it. Except maybe in the broadcast world, and even there, it's becoming less and less. I mean, here in, in, in our staging and World Stages uh, uh, inventory, we have lots of Sony gear, but it's mostly legacy. Mm-hmm. We do have some stuff, but there's a, a huge variety of other stuff that we're buying now that is just as good, sometimes mostly better, at a decent price that we can, we can make money on. And so they're, I don't know what they're really looking for at this point. And some of that is you know, Sony. There, there was a, a point in time, both in the broadcast world and in the commercial world, where to get something of quality and to get something that was going to last a long time and that was going to be good, you bought a Sony. Uh, there was a price associated with that, but you understood that going in, and you you purchased not only the price but also the inherent quality that you were you purchasing by purchasing the Sony name. I don't know that that holds true anymore. Um, and one thing I found interesting in, in, in this article is they have a new president, and not I don't want to get into a big you know corporate culture discussion here, but when your president has can't make a decision without basically an agreement of a quorum, there's a fundamental problem there. Agreed. I mean, I just I don't know. If if you know. is that is that a quorum because he thinks he needs it, or is that the no? That's Sony structure. Law? Yeah, so, Sony structure. Okay. And apparently, it's it's a it's a it is a Japanese tradition for some companies. Now, some companies don't have that that are Japanese companies. Um, I think Panasonic. But they used to be successful. So where did they lose their way? Is the question? Do they just want the Sony way and try to bull their way through everybody? And it's not working anymore, or is there something else going on? Are they trying to? Are they trying to? You know, sabotage themselves? <laughs> I don't know. You know, sort of like the uh, sort of like the the professional sports team that is uh, accused of doing worse to get you know the first in the draft or something. I don't know. I can't figure out what that metaphor would actually equal in their own terms, but it just seems very odd that it's just a disaster. It's a spiral downward. Yeah, I don't know. I think that Sony still is making some really nice products, um, and they're still innovating. Obviously, they have one of the only consumer or home AV 4K projectors on the market. But the main thing I agree with in this article is that the price premium really just isn't worth it the way it used to be in, in any regard, in any product line, I mean. Well, there's nothing unique, Sarah, though, right? I mean, they've got the 4K, but who knows about it? And it's and it's a piece of gear that's so far out of everybody's use, except for maybe my world. Yeah. But we're not even mm-hmm. looking at that really. Maybe maybe there's a communication issue. Maybe they're just not telling us effectively. What I, th- I they guess cost. I just meant I I think they're still making premium products and still innovating, but that I don't like. Would I buy pay top price for a Sony XBR te- HGTV over a Samsung? No. No, right, you right. won't, because you know what? Anymore, it's coming out of the same machine. It's coming yeah, out of the same line. That also looks really nice and has good processing capabilities and everything you need. Like, okay. you're not 
taking a huge hit in quality. Let me ask you guys this: if this is if this is inherent in in Sony's culture, um, they right before CD on uh, the CES, they announced that they were getting out of the OLED business. They had they were the, they were the first to market with it. Um, they had a very you know beautiful display. It was thirteen inches. It was also twenty five hundred dollars. You know, it was expensive. <laughs> there was a premium. There's a theme here, um, and yet at CES they released something called quote unquote crystal display. Now, uh, I wasn't at CES. Uh, one of our, our good friends, uh, Rich Fragosa, was, and he said it was you know it was it was cool and it was awesome. Um, he didn't get close enough to it and it wasn't really around anything else. But a couple commentators wrote that it looked an awful lot like an OLED. It's just, I, I think maybe it's Sony being Sony and they want to have the spotlight and the stage to themselves and they're going to start shooting themselves in the foot starting. They're going to keep shooting themselves in the foot by wanting to be the bell of the ball instead of being just one of a number of really great manufacturers. Hmm. Well, does that go back to what I said? Is that maybe they're not communicating it well and they're not they're not listening to what the market wants and sort of bullying through with their own ways and not accommodating what the market wants. And I mean, you can have the greatest stuff in the world, but if you don't give the market the connector they want, they're going to ignore you. Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, you tell me, Sarah, you're, you're, you're higher up in the food chain on this kind of stuff. I mean, um, well, I wasn't at CES and I didn't see that display, but I understand what Ted is saying and it makes sense. I mean, I think that, Sony is at the point where they need to adapt their company or they're going to see it. The decline is going to continue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and like I said, years ago when I worked in recording studios, you would walk into a recording studio. Okay. The console would be an SSL or a Focusrite, but everything else that was on the side that was recording it was a Sony from the DAT machines to the beta decks to the reel to reel 48 channel digital or analog. Well, maybe those were studers, but still Sony took over everything. And now, they just—it's a whimper. I don't know. It, it really confuses me as to why you don't see more coming out from them. It may be there, but you just don't see it or feel it. No, hmm. you don't. It's sad. I'll, I'll break up my my uh, Sony Mini Disc player here in a minute. So, oh, <laughs> cool. Do you have do you have blanks? I do. Would... I loved Mini Disc. Can I tell you that I loved Mini Disc? I was in radio in the heyday of Mini Disc, and it was one of the easiest formats to to edit on the fly. So. Go. Yeah, anyhow. the mighty cart machine, or the Jeez. mini cart machine. <laughs> All right, uh, Extron and Middle Atlantic have paired up. Paired up. Um, this is is kind of coupled with a story we did about a month or so ago. Extron had released um, a bunch of products that were half racks, and it was really made for, in my opinion, and, and they can correct me if if I'm wrong on this, but it was made for the education market. For the guys who are trying to put things in podiums, which you know, uh, my 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 real job is that's what I do. You know, we we have you know education and, and work for college, and we're trying to put things in in small little areas so the professor can walk up to the podium, put his laptop down, plug it in, and start going. Well, Extron, and they've got a number of of quarter rack space um, devices and eighth rack space devices and stuff. And so they said, you know what, let's, let's start making half-rack stuff. Let's just do it. Let's, let's get on with it. And then they partner with Middle Atlantic, a really good uh, rack manufacturer. And they've even gone so far 
is to contact the ECIA, which is the Electronic Components Industry Association, to say, hey, let's create a standard. Now, before George goes off on me because he hates standards. I did not say that. <laughs> you have said before you hate standards. It's, it depends on how you're framing the okay. word standard. Well, and I have another, context, baby. another friend of mine who says, you know what? The great thing about standards is there's so many of them. Um, but I think this is a good idea. I, I, I do because because I live in the world of, of education on a day-in, day-out basis. And this is not just for education, but it's also for boardrooms and, and, and places where, you know what? Your standard rack just isn't going to fit. And yes, even if you get in on the ground floor of the um, planning part and you get the architect to draw you in as much space as you need, a lot of times by the time it gets to actually construction – well, decisions were made on the day that you were sick, and you don't have the space that you thought you did. Um, Sarah, never you, happens. Huh? Never happens. Oh, no, never. And architects never forget. Um, <laughs> Sarah, do you think this is a good thing for the industry to have another standard like this, or um, is this just another standard for us to have to memorize and, and remember? Well, I think that when you have two big companies like this coming together, you have the best chance of it sticking around. And there's really, with components getting smaller and smaller, there's really no re reason why in a lot of applications you need a full rack with full, full rack with equipment. So I think it's a good thing because Extron makes like a lot of the boxes you're putting into racks and Middle Atlantic is a huge rack manufacturer. So them partnering together I think is, is pretty good for the industry. And it's possible that in you know, 10 years from today, the half rack width is going to be a bigger standard than the full rack width. Ooh. I have to write that down. Sarah Abrams on <laughs> February. What is today's This 10th? is recorded. Yes. No, we're not recording. <laughs> no, no. I just, just do this because I like talking us. to you folks. Yeah. Well, I do, but that's not the point. <laughs> well, you know, I have to agree, Sarah. I mean, because new media, those little devices, everything from the Mac minis to the Aja boxes to everything that we use like that, the, the standard 19-inch rack or the, those big ha you know, racks are just not – they're too much. And you find yourself strapping things in and using Velcros or coming up with different ways of sort of Zip configuring ties. these things to make them slide in so that they're easy to take in and out. But you wind up like having to cut 30 things to get one piece of gear out during a, mm -hmm. you know, an install because oh, no, you're no. doing that. The, the best one I've ever seen is uh, the, the industrial Velcro where the, you, you, you attach one oh, yeah. component on top of the other. And the integrator that you <laughs> hired brilliantly hires probably some 15-year-old kid, high school kid who's never seen a piece of baby equipment before in his life and decides that the air holes on top are where the Velcro goes. <laughs> Yeah. Never happens. Never happens. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or that – and in addition to that, it's the industrial Velcro, and it's sort of like getting King Arthur Stone uh, sort of stone. <laughs> Excalibur. Like, if you can pull this apart, you are the king. <laughs> Good night. Yeah, but I do like the idea. I, I do. Uh, you know, see? I do like a standard at times. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping but, other manufacturers will – We'll, we'll jump in and start too. supporting it because I think there are some, I mean, there are companies out there making one full rack with 
equipment that does not need to be that wide just because it is a standard at the moment. Well, it's, you take uh, wireless mics, let's say, off the top of my head. Sometimes, I mean, most, most, there are some manufacturers who will sell you a half-rack kit extender. Um, yeah. Sure is one off the top of my head. <laughs> Basically, it's a piece of metal that mm-hmm. extends over, and so you can fill it, fill it, put it into your whole rack. Yeah. It's annoying. It's like a puzzle. It's a puzzle. It's Jenga. Which, yeah. <laughs> Reverse Jenga. You know, we have, we have Jenga. enough trouble getting stuff designed and <laughs> yeah. on budget. We don't need to. The pu- I have enough puzzles, thanks. Yeah. All right, Pat, is this something, because you guys, you guys, you have the same the same rack standards in Europe, don't you? I believe so. Um, again, as I say, I, I don't want to talk about something I don't know and don't understand because my side of Why baby, not? I do every day. I was about to say, yeah, why not? We're just going to <laughs> the party. Um, but certainly, I think, I think with, with anything like this, there has to be standards there so that, uh, you know, that if you decide to move from one to another, you don't have to sort of dispose of everything. So that's just me as a consumer rather than a, an expert on anything. Well, you're, you're among friends because none of us are experts on anything. So. <laughs> I mean, George is, but that's just because you're from New York. Well, I'm, I'm internationally known for my information on tiddlywinks, but beyond that. Internet, never mind. I'm not even. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to go there. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break real quick. You're listening to AV Week with George Tucker, Sarah Abrams, and Pat Dealey. Uh, we're going to do the AV Week Job of the Week, uh, brought to you by Rave Publications. Go to ravepubs.com forward slash AV Jobs, ravepubs dot com forward slash ab jobs uh this one comes to us from uh from whitlock uh whitlock.com is their is their website they're looking for a full-time av technician uh in redmond washington so you could be you know a tech for microsoft or you know fix their connect or something uh, the qualifications <laughs> uh you need to be have a, a high school diploma or a ged something like that uh, CTS, or you should be willing to get one uh, pretty quickly after they hire you, which is kind of standard for installation guys. Uh, I know Crestron and Extron, everybody does that too. Uh, some some computer skills, you know, uh, Microsoft, because you're in Redmond. Um, and also some, some ex- install experience. Uh, for more information, go to Whitlock.com, Whitlock, W-H-I-T-L-O-C-K.com, or RavePubs.com forward slash AV Jobs. That is the AV Week job of the week uh, guys this comes to us from innovate uh or amx or, or whoever it's it's a um announcement that the madero x series touch panels are finally shipping and i i've i'm a big fan of when they start shipping that were shown in um it, at trade shows um i know i'm weird that way but you know what? If you're going to show me something, at least give me a timeline where I can get it. Um, Sarah, I don't know if you saw this at Infocom 2011, did you? I did. To me, and this is me, I think this is the sexiest touch panel on the market. I totally, now. totally agree. They're so gorgeous. I love them. I want one. <laughs> I know. I'll, th- I'll third that. I think we actually mentioned it on the Infocom show, the AV week right after it. Yeah, everything did. My, my, my love affair with that, that panel. I love that thing. Well, now, it, where do you guys see it being used is my question. It looks more house. digital signage. Well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, Captain Obvious, thanks. 
You're going to be one of those guys when they see the 70-inch panel go, you know, that game would look good in my house. Yeah, okay. Um, but where, where else besides Tim's house? Are you listening, <laughs> AMX? Um, Jeez. It looks to me more like a, a digital signage kind of idea. I like it, and it really looks like something I could use, but is there anything that I'm missing that you would not really want this in your house? It seems oddly shaped for a house, is my point. Okay, but it's a widescreen, so let's not be too simplistic here. It's a widescreen display. Yeah. Duh. We have widescreen TVs. I mean, this is perfect for education or for the boardroom, where currently um, you've got displays that are 4 by 3 Okay, let's just be simplistic about this. They're a 4 by 3 aspect ratio. Well, they're giving us a 16 by 9 I don't know if it's actual true. I haven't done the math. True 16 by 9 but they're giving us a widescreen display so we can do what we're doing now with our with our touch panels which is monitor the current video feed or monitor the video conferencing feed or monitor the the DVD going on or anything like that in a true aspect ratio instead of squishing it and squashing mm-hmm. it like we have to now I mean that's and you can enough. also have different different things going on at one time so from like home perspective and this is a very premium thing to have but you could be using it as a personal video device like watching a movie on it at the same time that you're checking out your security camera or whatever um but i think that what's interesting about these these touch panels is that it's a very premium product like the 20.3 inch that's one of the ones now shipping is is what like thirteen thousand dollars list price yeah it's just expensive but it's not though I mean, you you take a a seventeen inch um, quick media one, which is which is Crestron's version. That's fifteen grand list price. Mm-hmm. So in comparison, it's not really. I mean, it's it's in the ballpark. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's a lot of money. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Fifteen well, grand is I a guess, lot of money. I think you're going to see like really that that is a really good price for all the stuff that it does and how much advanced technology is in it inside it. Like, I don't know if you read any about this, the near-field communications stuff that they've embedded in it. Do you know what that is? Hmm. Yeah, I know what NFC is, but I didn't realize that they... Yeah, so you could have, like, a user profile attached to your mobile phone, scan your phone over the touch panel, and it'll go to your user profile. That is huge. Yeah. I did not actually know that. I had completely forgotten about that, and I didn't even read the spec on that. That is, yeah, I'm even now more in love. And it has, like, Bluetooth functionality and some other cool stuff so i think that we're moving towards like where this this is going to be the zenith of touch panels that are really awesome and just have a ton of functionality um and then on the low end you're going to have people like it's going to be totally replaced obviously by like ipads and mobile phones and then you're going to have really high-end touch panels like this and i'm i'm sure that we'll see a response from from crestron similarly aesthetically pleasing touch panel because it's just i mean there's nothing else like it on the market in my opinion no there's not that's the thing and 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 just to complete the whole thing for them um they say in the second quarter they're going to be releasing um a 4.3 a 7 and a 10 inch so you know they're not all going to be thirteen thousand. so so they're actually they're shipping the larger ones first they're shipping the 20.3 and the 19.4 first and then and they go as small as a 4.3 inch. Yeah, yeah, which is really cute. I, I, I like that a lot. <laughs> it's cute. Yeah, I, like I agree. It. 
So, so that, I mean, that is actually that is interesting because the ten point three inch thirteen thousand is the most should be the most expensive. Yeah. So. Um, it's it's very innovative. It's nice to see something so good looking in the, <laughs> um, install part of our industry, not just coming from the consumer side. Well, yeah, and let's be honest. I mean, I I, I hate because I I have friends in all three of them, and I don't want to insult anybody. But touch panels haven't been sexy. I agree. I mean, seriously. And, and there's no reason why they they shouldn't be already. No, I'm kidding. Like the touch panels in that um that Corning video, very sexy. Uh-huh. They don't exist. But these do, and they're really beautiful. You know what? Call well, Johnny this- Ives. Steve Jobs, Jobs is dead. Offer Johnny Ives a job and just have him design touch panels for us. <laughs> All of us. Just, you know, he can do one year, one year for AMX, and next one year he can do one for Extron. At the risk of extending a metaphor into dangerous territory, is sexy more temperamental and high-maintenance, though? You make a thinner, flatter, <laughs> sexy panel. It requires a little bit more finesse and attention. I'm and sorry, could half be my ex girlfriend just popped in my head, George. Exactly where I didn't want to. I have an ex wife. There you go. <laughs> uh, I'm here all week. Um, but th- that's my main question is coming from the manufacturing side at one point, sometimes that's the hard part. It's like you can make it, but how durable will it be based just on the available materials? I'm sure it will take a while for the big boxy touch panels to go away. So if you prefer that, well, it's not about prefer- it's a- oh nice, nice. <laughs> There's a little subtle battle going on here. I hear. Um, <laughs> the but, but here's my point. Is, you know, a lot of times when you were testing, I also did a stint in QC. You do the kid test or the you know teenage mm-hmm. flip flop. You know where they bang 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 hit the buttons. I think the Modero line should be durable enough for that. It is intended sometimes for boardrooms, but. There is a question there, you know, when you make something really, really nice and really sexy with clean lines and design, the materials used to do that sometimes are not the most durable. Look at a Lamborghini. Look at a Ferrari. You know, okay, they, get so, in, they, they get a fender bender at two miles an hour. It's destroyed. Yeah. L- let's take this. My, my very first smartphone was making a, a note to go check out the sturdiness of these at the next trade show. <laughs> Sarah's going to take a sledgehammer. Trust me on this. If they Maybe they'll be at and, DSE, and I'll be like. <laughs> Can I throw your Madeira touch panel on the ground? I want to see what happens. How do you feel about that? Well, the funny thing is the guys at Sennheiser used to let you do that with their audio gear. I know it's a completely sort of different, not even sort of, it's a completely different (laughs) idea. But the the main designer used to stand on top of the thing and swing it around and bang it on stuff. What was it? Sure, used to to, uh, 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 hammer a nail into a board with a sure mic. That's right. They did. You know? (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Um, let me ask, bring this analogy. My very first smartphone was a, a Palm Trio 300. Uh, if you've never seen one, Google it. It looks like a tricorder, I swear to God. And, and if you don't know what tricorder is, you're entirely too young to be listening to me right now. Um, but you take that, and it was incredibly sturdy. Okay? It was incredibly sturdy. But it was also boring. And then Steve Jobs comes out with the iPhone. Which is incredibly sexy. And oh yeah, by the way, it's incredibly sturdy. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, it's glass and it's going to break, but it's freaking gorilla glass. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I, I, I would take issue with the fact that sturdy does not have to equal boring. It doesn't have to. I mean, it, it, and yes, it's Apple, and yes, it's Jobs, and yes, he is, you know, once in a generation and all that jazz. But it's still possible, is it not? I don't disagree, no. I'm just posing the question as to why we're still 
maintaining that in certain levels and there's there's a reason for it you want that that level of sexiness or physical attractive but at times it could be a detriment to the application and a lot of these guys aren't making one-offs or special touch panels for say just the uh, industrial industry or the, the the warehouses it's the same panel goes into your house as goes into you know the mm -hmm. high-end warehouse so there is that sort of middle line of it's sexy enough and it works mm. and you don't have to make 15 versions you know why george because by golly i paid for that design 10 years ago and i'm gonna squeeze every last dime out of it no doubt but again just like when we talk with sony if you don't listen to your market they will they will say goodbye yeah. but you have to sort of be in the middle sometimes well, yeah. i'm not defending it as the be all and end all but there is that nature and but, again you know going back i love this modero panel i i i, I yeah i want one but if you do, also, go ahead. do either of you know what type of glass it's made of i know it's frameless so that alone makes it you know yeah, more I don't fragile but i don't know i haven't been able to figure out what kind of treatment they might be, do to, be doing to make it sturdier i do not know that for sure well that actually leads into our next topic which we'll go into um which is corning's uh second generation of gorilla glass and they've got a video we'll post it on on the show notes for this uh, it's called Corning's A Day Made of Glass 2. They made a one video, a, a video already talking about a day made of glass. And it, it takes place, it, it's a typical American family, um, <laughs> taking them through the day, a day in their life. And all the interactions they have with, gla with glass. I know that sounds kind of funny, but it's Corning and it's what they do. And it, it's showing you all the different applications that, gorilla, that their Gorilla Glass has. And... I was sitting here reading this, and I'm, I'm watching this, and it, it, it came from Huffington Post, and, and I'm going, okay, why aren't touch panels made of Gorilla Glass? And so I'll ask you guys this. Why aren't <laughs> touch panels made of Gorilla Glass? I mean, it's not like they have, it's not like Apple has some proprietary tie-up where nobody else in the world can buy Gorilla Glass. So if I'm AMX and I have Madero, which is the sexiest touch panel on the on the planet, why am I not putting Gorilla Glass on it? That's a final good question. <laughs> well, I mean, it's probably a return investment, final cost. Is it worth the money that it's costing to put that glass in at the price point you want to sell that at? I mean, it could be as simple as that. Yeah. And again, we all don't know whether or not they really are using Gorilla Glass. Okay, but so, so take the Madeira off that anybody else. I mean, that you know, Aurora, Aurora, Crestron, Extron, anybody else's touch panel. I mean, and the reason I ask this is because I have a, a specific instance in my head. Uh, from time to time, I'll help out some guys over in St. Louis and, and just, you know, they'll pick my brain about something. And I had an, an, an incident once at a college over in St. Louis and the, the, the integrator called me up and said, um, I need to ask you about something. And I said, all right, you know. And he's like, him and hawing about, around about what the issue was. He's like, I've got this, this, this busted um, touch panel. I'm like, all right, so what's, you know, what's going on? Well, you know, this, that, and the <clears throat> Finally, it came out. The instructor was so ticked off because um, when you turn off the uh, system, it says, please wait 30 seconds while the projector cools down. Anybody that's made a, 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 a control system of any type and you've dealt with it with a projector, you've done this. It's, it's standard operating procedure. Well, this is a guy that has like 15 degrees, and he was so ticked off at the arrogance, quote unquote, of this system to tell him he had to wait 30 seconds that he punched it. <laughs> I saw this coming. Now. <laughs> 
stupid. Yeah, I've heard more than one of those stories. Yeah, stupid PhD holders aside, um, putting something that's available like this into something that we use every day, I think I, I think it makes sense. Now, George, you might have a point with with it affecting the final bottom line, though. Yeah, you have a market and a, and a price point you want to obtain. I mean, these are luxury items sometimes, but still, there's a, a, a threshold yeah. <laughs> that they find acceptable or not acceptable. I mean, look, think about it. Some of these touch panels retail cost as much as a, a Mini, the BMW Minis. <laughs> you know, I mean, at retail, right? I mean, it's a lot yeah, of money. There's a threshold moment that you have to say – okay, we can't do that because of this. Or just like blue LEDs or white LEDs, sometimes the choice is made is I like them. You do the final cost and you go, hoo no, we can't do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, you've seen, you've seen companies change their pricing midstream because you know what happened. Whoops, we didn't quite figure that one out correctly, did we? <laughs> or the parts from the supplier cost more than we uh, realized. And now, now we have to use them. So, yes, it should be durable, but that's one of the things that we used to argue all the time in QC is we would punch them and the engineers would say – or not punch them physically like you talk, but like hit them pretty hard, do the kid test, we call it. Don't do that. <laughs> into a house, right? You know. <laughs> and this is more than just – you know, I've been at several companies where we've done this. And you know, sometimes it is. It's a, it's a, you get those keypads that they all sell. Those are not really durable pieces. And you get a kid attacking it as he goes by, and you know how teenagers are. Slap! Teenagers, you know, five-year-olds. Well, five-year-olds, yes, but some, some, yeah, yes. But teenagers have more power behind them. I don't know. You know, <laughs> five-year-olds tend to pick up a toy and go, hey, look. I'll, sh- I'll ship my three-year-old to you and, and let him deck you. Nice. <laughs> he's, he's got nice. quite a wallop. You know, I, got, I got two boys of my own. You know, they're gonna, I'm going to have some uh, help. <laughs> but I think it's a really good question and worth trying to figure out why and or maybe it's coming i don't know i still think that well, maybe a good point but there are economics to this question of yeah, what you yeah. include sure but sarah and i are going to walk into amx's booth at infocom we are, we are. with a sledgehammer yeah. and a camera <laughs> that would be so amazing that would be, awesome. That'd be the best marketing we get kicked ever. out but hey mm, we'll do it on the third day <laughs> okay about three o'clock was, was it last year that twit went into one of the one of the IO gears or somebody like that, and they said, you know, indestructible, and they broke it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> One hit, and they just broke it, just like, boom. <laughs> Jeez. Um, all right, not, not that I'd... Um, you're listening to AV Week, by the way, uh, with Sarah Abrams, Pat Dealey, and George Tucker. Uh, I don't want to get into uh, copyright law because it's boring. Uh, I just kind of want to get you guys' take on this real quickly. Uh, Nest Labs, which is something that's kind of popped up over the last six months or so, as a, a new hot property, a new hot item. Um, it, it's a real sexy. Actually, one company called it the iPhone of thermostats. Um, they're getting sued by Honeywell over over patent infringement. So, um, is this something that George that we're going to start seeing more and more of as you know this company and that company and should we even? I mean, I guess. Let me ask a better question. How soon should you jump on a bandwagon of a new company like this? Should you wait until, you know, a year and make sure that nobody's going to slap a suit on them and you're stuck with a product that isn't supported because the company got sued out of business? Oh, you mean like an integrator? Whether an integrator should be selling and yes. promoting Nest? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. It, the lawsuit is kind of interesting. I was reading through it and trying to figure out. 
because it, to me, there are sort of similar products being sold by companies in our industry. Everybody. Yeah. So the fact that Honeywell hasn't sued like Crestron or Savant or whoever about their with their programmable thermostats, um, I don't. I don't know. I would have my. I would call my lawyers if I were them, Who, <laughs> just in case. No, I mean oh, Honeywell. Like what Honeywell is suing Nest for? I think that there are manufacturers in our industry making products that do similar things, not in, that look exactly the same, but I, they could face the same lawsuits. That's well, I mean, I, if you look at it, look if you looked read that read the um, what is it the Honey uh, was it Market Watch report? Mm-hmm. They're claiming that the, the specific complaints have patents that are about natural language installer setup, controller interface with dynamic schedule, HAV controller. Thermostat with mechanical use interface, thermostat with offset drive, and the, their power stealing, right? Mm-hmm. And a profile-based method for deriving temperature set point using a delta-based cross-indexing, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. For the most part, I feel like, are you and I in trouble for talking about this? Because isn't this just a natural way of doing things? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you're, you're, sort of, <laughs> you're sort of saying, are, is a light bulb manufacturer going to go after somebody for saying that they have a patent or a concept patent that they mentioned that is a manual engagement of electronic uh, electron flow control interface, a light switch. I mean, yeah. <laughs> where where are we getting to? Uh, we've all seen this. Uh, Crestron got sued by oh gosh everybody. Um, Lutron suing AMA. They're all suing each other for because in a tight economy with a with a sort of uh, industries that are overlapping each other now and we're sort of doing things we never did before in certain country, uh, companies. They're all sort of getting into this vertical and horizontal market uh, method. You're going to bump into people, and they're all going to make claims because suddenly Honeywell doesn't look sexy, and they haven't looked sexy for decades. That's I. When I read this article, I felt irritated because the Nest product, there is nothing else like it. Certainly Honeywell doesn't make it. If they could have made it, they should have made it and not be suing yeah. Nest because this product, there's nothing else like it. It's really beautiful. I never thought I would be possibly consider spending $250 on a thermostat, but I want one. I really do. Just like I want a Madeira touch panel. I want to, I want to nest next to it. Now I know what to get Sarah for her birthday. <laughs> it's just so, I don't know. And I don't know. It's a very consumer friendly product. Oh, it is. And, and, and um, Honeywell's, what they're making is not that consumer friendly. Well, I think maybe Honeywell has turned into IBM, you know, where, it's very patent trolly. I yes. don't know. Well, that's what IBM is anymore. I mean, whoever, mm-hmm. and eventually IBM will probably sell to somebody. But when they do, it won't be the fact that, that it's it's the ThinkPad that they're buying. They're buying this treasure trove of, of patents. And I think that's maybe what Honeywell has, has turned into. Is 20 yeah. years ago, 30 years ago, they had really smart people that thought up and said, hmm, we can do this, and wrote a patent for it. And, you know, well, but and here's my question about that. And you said it's boring. I mean, look, is copyright law any 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 more exciting or less exciting than chartered accountancy? For some, it is. But just because I wrote a, a paper 20 years ago and said I think this concept is great, doesn't mean you own a copyright on it if you didn't make it happen. And then there are patents. It does if the on, U.S. People. government gives yeah. you a copyright on it. Yes, but you know what? The U.S. Patent Office has been giving patents to like those little iron or metal copper bracelets for arthritis. Excuse me. Yeah. So there is not all of it's bad, but come on, there is some finagling going on here, and these kerfuffles over <laughs> silly patent infringements is is really only because the guy who owns a patent that maybe somewhat could it could it be kind of be, 
you know, uh, applicable here, didn't think of it themselves first, so they're now they're miffed. They're mm-hmm. miffed. Yeah, because they missed um, the boat on it. And you get into this, um, my favorite other subject, you get into this very Noel Lee monster cable attitude of just suing everybody to make money. Mm-hmm. And you said you become a patent holder, so you just do that by it's sort of, you know, why don't you just squat on a, uh, an old web dress domain back in the 80s and make them pay you? Wow. Come on. You know, I know there may be some merit to some of these, but I bet you not all of them. It's this is just a nuisance. I've not thought about domain squatting in a long time. I'm here to help. I know. All right, uh, real <laughs> briefly, um, uh, one last story. This comes from CE Pro, and I mentioned it for two reasons. First of all, to to kind of needle our buddies over at, at Commercial Integrator, who are based in Boston. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I so wanted the Giants to win. I know where this win. is going. I so wanted the Giants to win. Um, this is a story about Eli. It's, a, it's called Inside Eli Manning's Automated Condo. And it's not, yes, it's funny to, to give them a hard time because the Patriots choked and they can't win without <laughs> cheating. Um, Are you a Giants fan? I'm not oh, a Giants fan. I'm a Bears fan. But nice. I just I irked the, the fact that Belichick won three Super Bowls while cheating and then he hasn't won one since. So... Um, but this is more about um, how to handle high-end clients, really. Um, and uh, Tom LeBlanc over at, at Commercial Integrator wrote, wrote the piece. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting from a standpoint of, you know what, not a lot. Of, you don't get a lot of guys who will be this open about how they handle their, you know, temperamental and, and, and temperamental because that's that, that bad connotation. But but definitely. They're high maintenance clients, you know. George, George, did you get anything? I mean, you, you, I don't know that you deal with directly with people, but you deal with a lot of in, in instances what that have high profile people going on. Did you garner anything from this article that says, "Hmm, I can use this the next time I'm, you know, lighting somebody"? Or I hate people. I know you do. No, um, you're a New Yorker. Well, actually, the, yeah, oh, now here we go. Look, don't you start with me, buddy. You want me to say happy happy day to you in sunshine? Don't stand in my way. Um, <laughs> it does have a lot to say, and I think this actually is af- applicable to say the uh, the tenants in social media. How open are you about certain things, and what do you do? And the the main part of this was pay attention to their needs. Be very specific and strong about what it takes to make the thing happen. Even if your client's needs are, I can't talk to you. Talk to my people. You know that's not going to work. You have to be strong in that case and maybe give in in others. Yes, you can get your touch panel changed. We won't, we won't charge you for this, this one. But it really is about managing expectations and setting guidelines. It sounds a lot like parenting. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and giving leeway. Yes, we can change that for you. No, you have to be here for this part of it. Um, and that's really, I think, the essence I got from that is here's a very high-end client who wanted it to be installed while he was in the season. And they made it work by setting up certain guidelines, being flexible, but also knowing what the end goal – I didn't mean to use that metaphor, but there you go <laughs> – goal was to getting the, the unit accomplished. And one of the specific ones from uh, Manning was his dad is not technical, and they specifically wanted a system that Manning could teach his dad how to use. And this is a testament to the, the company installed, say, Crestron, but more so to the GUI designer who could make that happen. And all of those combined makes a happy high-end client. It makes a happy any client. Makes a happy home. So. All right. Uh, Sarah has to leave us. Is that right? Yes. 
So she is actually, um, if you listen to the Daily Rave, you know, <laughs> you know where she's going. Today is Star Wars Day at Rave Pubs. And one of these Fridays, I'm going to get in on their festivities. So uh, We don't have you're video wel- for you're this? You're welcome anytime. No, we don't. <laughs> I told Who are you going as? Um, Sarah Abrams. <laughs> See, that's the thing is, I, I gave Gary a hard time because he's not dressing nope. up. He's not even taking a lightsaber. That's not Star Wars Day. I know. That's what I said. <laughs> That's an extreme. I'll be sure to go to happy hour. Sarah, you should go by and get him a Darth Maul one. That way, he has one on each side. (laughs) I will tell you that on Gary's 40th birthday, which I will not tell you how long ago that was, but um, (laughs) he—it was around the time the new Star Wars came out. One of them, and he rented out an entire theater. Wow! For for his birthday, and took all of his friends to go see Star Wars. That was before 3D, but. It was fun. That's awesome. Did he dress up for that one? No. Well, no, because there are a bunch of people there. But I will tell him he needs to dress up. Yeah. Because Rocky Horror is sort of waning in the popular culture. We need a new one. Star Wars could fit the bill. (laughs) I know. If you you could work out Rocky Horror, that would be awesome, too. Uh, So Sarah Abrams. (laughs) Okay, I'll try that. It's the editor at Rave Pubs. Uh, Ravepubs.com is the website. And uh, uh, at Rave Pubs is the Twitter. So thank you so much, ma'am. Thank you guys for having me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you yeah. know what? That's going to do us uh, for the whole thing. So, uh, Pat Dealey, thank you so much for coming by. Thank you. Good to listen to you. Pat is, is the sales and marketing director at uh, avjobs.co.uk. avjobs.co.uk. That's the website for all sorts of jobs in Europe, in the Middle East, and down into Africa. So, go there if you would. And George Tucker is the engineering coordinator for World Stage. Uh, give me your website, sir, because I'm going to screw it up. Well, I also blog for Rave Pubs as mm-hmm. well, as well as my own little uh, machinations on tech culture. It's tuckerstuesday.typepad.com. Yeah, one day I'll buy a domain. We should go there. We should go like Hover. Hover.com is a great domain place. So There you go. Um, my name is Tim Albright. Oh, George is also at tucker Twos on Twitter. My name is Tim Albright. Uh, if you want this and any other information from us or any of our other webs uh, or any of our other podcasts, whether that is the AV Social that George hosts, the IY that George hosts, <laughs> uh, a couple others that George hosts, and also, go to ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation, ravepubs.com forward slash AV Nation. That's where you'll find this show and so many more um, blogs and everything else uh, that we do and also the Rave Guys do. So uh, check us out, ravepubs.com forward slash aviation. That's all the time we have for AV Week. 